Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. I get to start. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. Um, So... I don't, I get to start so I can make fun of this topic. Just kidding. It's a really good topic. We're talking about compassion fatigue. The irony and why it's funny is this was Kurt's thing and he thinks he has compassion fatigue. <laughs> Notice though, here's, here's what's interesting about this. Compassion fatigue, it took you this many years to develop compassion fatigue. So is that really compassion fatigue or is that just... <laughs> a lot of birthday fatigue. Ooh. Interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- ouch, ouch. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I think that when you you know do family medicine for a long time, and it's been a while since I've done family medicine, but you know, you come across some pretty tough stuff. And and back in those days, before you showed up working, uh, we covered the ER, so saw a lot of trauma. That's because I was still in elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> and should have stayed. Mika, who's joining us again for the third week, she was still in diapers. I was a twinkle in my parents' or eyes. Or that, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, you know, you saw a lot of trauma. You saw a lot of bad things. And, uh, yeah, you, it wears you out. But this was actually uh, a topic that Danielle from Hibbing texted me and said, you, should do, you guys should do a, an echo on this. So I'm actually going to do an echo on compassion fatigue. So I haven't read through all this. So I... I I'm going to ask you a question, and uh, if it's going to come up in one of these pages, just say that so you don't have to answer it. Okay. So, first of all, let's do the definition, and then I'll ask my Well, first question. off, you should say Mika stayed to do another one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she said that already, but it's, you know, uh, you, it's all good. She, what? It's fine. You're just, you're, you're here now. We're, we're ready to go. Am I safe? Uh, Heather, the... <laughs> Heather's been laughing terribly today, and we can't stop it. <laughs> because this happens a lot. I'll be like, mm-hmm, just said that. You <laughs> listeners, you should email me and let us let us know how many times you think in all the episodes you've listened to, how many times Kurt has repeated something. Yeah, here's, here's the deal before we move on to compassion fatigue. <sighs> this just shows I don't listen to you when you talk. <laughs> Can one have compassion fatigue if they don't listen? Ooh. Ooh. That wasn't my question, but that's a good one. Fair enough. Shush the student. (gasps) So anyway. Uh, No, here's, okay, so let's do the definition and I'm going to ask my question. Yeah, and here's the funny thing is there's multiple definitions. And actually, as we go through this, uh, there's people have different take. This was actually from a review article. uh, And and it was, I don't know. You don't have to be fancy and talk about the titles. Their last names end with Kova, though. That's super cool. Kova and Mova. Andrakova. Andrakova and Halamova. Mova. But anyway, this was from January 22, and they felt that compassion fatigue was really that feeling that occurs when you watch someone else suffer. Um, and it kind of motivates us to want to help, you know. And I think that it's that wanting to help and sometimes unable to help that causes some of this issue. She's having trouble. <laughs> I must have said something funny. As opposed to a sociopath. Watching somebody suffer is yeah. a positive thing. Yeah. Which, anyway, okay. So I would love to know the spectrum. Like, is there some type of a 
a survey that can be done to see where on the compassion spectrum you lie. Actually, uh, there is. And, okay. and we we may not get that this time, but maybe. But there's actually, they've come up with these things that will kind of rank whether you have it moderately or severely. or And, uh, you know. and the differences in who typically gets. Oh, yes. Okay. And actually, uh, that some of that is covered. I assumed. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, that won't be in this one, but we'll probably do the n- number two is talks a little bit about who's at higher risk. So before we started taping this podcast, Kurt's like, no, we can get it all in one. I'm like, no, no, we can't. Now you've just accepted there's going to be two. Yeah, because I think I'm not touching on the treatment of it today. And there's also in this review study that I've, I found they talk about different professions and who has it more and some of the ideas as to why. <laughs> like, I got more compassion than you do. Well, yeah, it's a competition. Well, I'm always worried about my dentist mostly, but yeah. Those yeah guys, no compassion. compassion. I don't yeah. think so. But Sociopath. So, com- <laughs> so conceptually, there's actually five components to this compassion fatigue. Why do you have a question mark? Um, I... Well, are there more? I mean, is it just five? And and these are what they thought, yeah. right? Who gets to uh, decide? Number one, it's that whole that you recognize suffering, right? That you can that's tell. the sociopath. Correct, it doesn't. Yep, um, and that you that you kind of understand that there's the, the universality of suffering. So we're all going to suffer at some point, and and so you know, get used to it, right? So, do you think part of compassion fatigue is people then? looking at someone else's suffering and then feeling compassion for themselves. Like I'm not really empathetic towards you. I'm just feeling badly for myself. But you take it in, right? And you, you feel poorly that you, but is it compassion like, fatigue you if you kind of selfishly think, Oh my God, they're suffering and I'm going to suffer like that someday too. So now they're being self centered. So that's mm. not like compassion fatigue. No, not really. Anyway. Okay. So that was the second component. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, Again, part of it is the fact that you start feeling for that person that suffers and you and and that tolerating that feeling is uncomfortable. So if you think about when you're watching something on TV, there's times where I just like, no, I'm not going to watch that. You know, it's like, oh, it makes me uncomfortable. Right. Well, yeah, our patient discussion this morning, which at this point is a month ago, but yeah, I still feel nauseous. Yeah, we had an episode today where we talked about a patient and and some sexual abuse that was really uncomfortable i think we all felt it, it that's just really hard to to uh, to listen to and and really part of the fatigue comes to the fact that you're try, you're somewhat motivated to to help and to you know alleviate their suffering and so how do you do that sure right and and often it's not solvable today's situation not solvable already happened still suffering but then know. it's that motivation to let me just change the world so it doesn't keep happening yeah that's kind of my take on this whole addiction epidemic is I can fix it all. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. But here's the interesting thing, people. <laughs> you know, compassion also be felt in relation to yourself, right? So one of the things that is a predictor, which we'll talk about, is whether you have compassion for yourself, right? Do you have self-compassion? And... Uh, you know, it's it's basically Let's describe that. It says directed inwards. Yeah, towards oneself as an object of care. It's how you take care of yourself by being able to forgive yourself for things you've done. Um, you know, things like that. It's it's really and there's actually some scales that you can you can take these little tests and and show you how good are you at understanding that you're not always going to um, be perfect. So, I wonder how that. 
Isn't might this get interesting? This. I wonder how that correlates to your level of compassion for others. If you have a lot of self-compassion, do you tend to be just as compassionate for others? Or, like, if you don't have that ability to have self-compassion or you're not good at it, are you actually more compassionate for others? Uh, because I wonder if whole... it's, I wonder if it's a practice. So over time, you just, if you're not good at having compassion for yourself, then you can burn out more. Then you have more of the fatigue we're versus, the, versus we're kinda, the compassion for others. We're kind of headed that way. And then also and not having a pity party and going the opposite way where yeah. you're just thinking about yourself 24-7 and all the things that you've been through yeah. and... And see, the opposite of having self-compassion is actually is actually self-criticism, mm-hmm. right? And and that's really that harsh, constant, you know, how you evaluate yourself, you know, the shame, the failure, the guilt. You know, I'm no good at this. I'm no good at that. And and so if you if you say, well, some people have um, self-compassion, is it easier for them to be compassionate when other when other people are having it? But if they tend to be very self-critical. See, I would think a self-critical person could have just as much compassion for others as the person who has Mm self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah, even like a self-deprecating amount of, like they do so much for other people that they don't focus on themselves. It's, you know, they need to start bringing some of that focus to themselves. I think it swings both ways. Well, or, you know, people always say, well... Theirs is so much worse. Or, I, you know, they can identify in themselves their own suffering, but they can always out- externalize that to somebody else's suffering more or somebody else has it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so they can't have that self-compassion because but, they're trying to take care of the worst. But here's the sad reality. I kind of went deep there. I don't know if you picked up on that. See how my voice changed? No. <laughs> Just like a narrator. Yeah. Um, the very act of being compassionate has consequences. That's the scary part of this, is that kind of in the end, empathy may cause your own suffering. Ooh. Right? So if you're a very empathetic person, like myself, uh, <laughs> what did she, did she just kind of laugh at that? I was, I was <laughs> no, she sniffling. Has, it's allergies. <laughs> it's allergies. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that in fact it may cause you More this you know, this compassion fatigue where it then causes you these other things. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the symptoms that people feel, the things people feel when they have compassion fatigue. Now, this is actually another definition uh, that that somebody came up with and it uh, of compassion fatigue, meaning that it's a state of tension and preoccupation with traumatized patients through re-experiencing their traumatic events, right? And attempting, you know, and and it, it and basically what happens is it's it's a reminder you get these constant reminders of their trauma of other people's trauma Correct. yeah so it's this so they're constant. not re-traumatizing the patient themselves they're like almost re-trauma they're re-traumatizing themselves with somebody else's trauma yeah and I think it's almost a reminder of like you know rather than it being about the provi- like about the provider going through what the patient went through but like their perspective on what the world is if there's this much suffering in the world yeah over time. But interestingly, that was really deep. Yeah. Yeah. As you as you really take in all of this stuff and you develop this compassion fatigue, it actually reduces your interest in and really your capacity to bear that suffering of others. So So, there's like a capacity to to have. Well, think about this. And actually, I said something to Mika this morning. I said, sometimes you hear these stories that are so terrible and it's so gut wrenching that it makes you almost not want to ask questions. For yeah. patients, right? And that's that, you know, kind of decreasing your ability 
to really kind of face it again and 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 soak in another person's right. you know that troubles. Makes sense. You know well, it's mean? kind of also you know that whole adage now with the work life balance that don't bring work home with you. And we just talked to a patient too who said that you know she does stuff in the mental health world and then she gets home and sometimes it her kids can tell like it's that being able to shut it off in a way so then you can still have compassion for like your family and and, and be able to do that yeah. i mean that's why i didn't want to be a teacher because i was like i could not handle little kids all day and then go home and have my own kids like i don't think i could do that so mm -hmm. yeah. interesting. i think there's a healthy amount of boundaries that any professional can have and still something can seep through even if you have healthy boundaries with your you know emotions and with what you take in from what your patients tell you that's assuming i have emotions yeah but <laughs> a lot of assumptions yeah but interestingly though if you look at compassion fatigue and you want to talk about well, what are the these kind of negative psychological symptoms that you might experience or other helping professionals might experience and Interesting, the things that can result, for instance, are, um, you know, both a firsthand and a kind of a secondhand. So if, if you've got somebody who's caring for people and they have this continued exposure to primary trauma, right, that's firsthand. So if you actually were there when it happened or saw it and, and experienced the patient's immediate issues, right? So like you saw that car crash right in front of you. Yeah. And let's say you, the car crashes, you get out and you're part of that whole trauma. Gotcha. Right. Um, but there's secondary trauma where you're providing care to somebody who's experienced it like today with this patient with this sexual abuse when she was young. Uh, and and I think we all kind of felt that after we talked about it. It's like this is really difficult. Oh, this next part's interesting. Like the secondary secondary traumatic stress. So is that referring to like the car crash that just happened in front of you? Like you didn't you're part of the event, but you're not the one that underwent the actual trauma i mean you, you're yeah. kind of part of it but secondary traumatic stress would be if the patient tells you the story well, like today somebody tells us you a sexual abuse story and you kind of take that all in and you can see the results like of the abuse like on their face their emotions yes. their or if somebody went through something and then, then they're presenting to the hospital they got yeah. shot or they got stabbed you're seeing the after effects that's still traumatic for you because it's like wow this person's going through a lot right yeah and sometimes he's used interchangeably, this whole secondary traumatic stress or vicarious traumatization. So you are, you're living vicariously, right, through that experience you were told about. Um, hmm. And this whole secondary traumatic stress, it, it's, it's a little bit different as opposed to some of these other things. It's kind of these emotions and behaviors that result from the knowledge about traumatizing situations, again, experienced by a patient that you're helping, Okay. So a little bit, a little bit different. Hmm. And if you think about this vicarious thing again, it's that often we talk about like transformation or it occurs like with a therapist is talking with somebody and talking with them about their trauma, but then it's kind of you kind of vicariously absorb that and 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 basically feel that empathetic feeling and well, and I like the second part though of that that the therapist or the provider, whomever, starts to experience themselves, others in the world differently. Yeah. It so, affects how you approach situations. Right. So, you know, a patient tells you that they were at a restaurant or a bar or at an event or wherever, and then they had some type of traumatic event, like, a, you know, they were molested or mugged or whatever it was. 
now you're going to feel that same trauma when you go to some type of a thing very similarly. Or we'll avoid that situation altogether. Correct. Correct. And that's kind of what they're talking about is that it kind of changes how you view the world and your fears. So uh, it's interesting because in 2010, this guy by the name of Stam kind of did this whole thing. And one of the things has been really is burnout the same, right? We always talk about, you know, medical providers getting burnout or, you know, they get, uh, you know, this secondary traumatic stress. Um, but they're talking, the STAM talked about compassion fatigue being kind of conceptualized as kind of this combination of burnout and this secondary traumatic stress, right? So these people, everything that I've read, and I, I've kind of become a student of, uh, <laughs> yeah, of compassion fatigue. <clears throat> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so, um, <laughs> but, yawning you know, if great. <laughs> some people try and talk about burnout as kind of being related more to workplace stressors or associated with kind well, of Like EMRs and COVID, like Correct. people got a lot of burnout during yeah. that. But was that, the, was that com- compassion fatigue, right? Um, I think... People are trying to separate these out and are they different? Well, right. And I mean, I think... Once people had to document more, like I think about some of the providers that were all retiring as I started, who, you know, their EMRs back in the day was like a note card. They wrote strep, amoxicillin. That was literally their entire exam and note and everything versus, you know, let's do a whole entire soap note. And so when they started to had to go to all these RVU based blah, 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 where you had to see patients and yet you have to document a book on every patient, that was a lot of work. Like it was all this extra stuff that where are you going no that that was burnout to them like how many providers were like i need to retire the second they had to start learning epic well yeah i was just gonna say the computer yeah and Mm -hmm. epic wasn't i mean that's not compassion fatigue that's just burnout burnout with covid i think it was the amount of patients but then also it was compassion burnout because there was a lot of suffering a lot of death um a lot of people that couldn't see their love their family members when they were dying and you just when you see that you're I mean you're going through it and that's I think that's both primary and secondary compassion exactly fatigue. all those providers you know just living through the trauma of patients dying yeah they're compassionate for the patient and their families and but yet their lives were not great yeah sitting in ICUs all day so mm-hmm. interestingly in that that article I believe on the one from Stam they they talked about compassion fatigue and kind of these seven domains right what are the what are the things that typically you'll see in people with compassion fatigue? The first being cognitive changes like concentration. Are we doing all this in one? Uh, we're trying. Oh, and okay. disorientation. Uh, the second was emotional troubles, feeling powerless and no anxiety and kind of numb to the world. The third, do you want me to keep going? Um, yeah, I was trying to see if these were divided on purpose, but that's just for the presentation. Okay, for when so I, yeah. we have cognitive, emotional, then behavioral, so the irritability, the hypervigilance. And yeah. I guess I can see that one, especially the one that kind of carries over when patient, when providers or whatever go home. Yeah. Like their behavior is just much more irritable. Like I've had bad days and I've done that. I've been more irritable at home with my kids just because no. it's like I don't have the ability to like. You're more irritable here. no um no i beg to differ no go ahead anyway anyway um but the spiritual thing think too you see people and they just often and i've certainly seen this in medical providers where they just feel like they've lost their purpose they they just don't know what they want to do well that hopelessness the hopelessness well and that was a lot of covid too i think yeah yeah i heard about 
um, doctors that were kind of done with medicine and went to work at Starbucks because, you know, COVID did a number on the healthcare yeah. system. And of course, you know, well, and they did everything they could in COVID. Like they, they were doing ev- like these ICU docs, like in the COVID wards, like everything they could in medicine. And they pushed, they all had to learn lots of stuff again and it still wasn't working. Like that's a loss of purpose, you know, yeah. like nothing they did could help. And I think too, when you start to think about then what happens, you know, you, you isolate yourself, you, you know, kind of, you kind of develop the interpersonal issues with people. It's just hard to be connected. Um, Makes sense. And the last couple, you know, some somatic complaints, the sweating and, and in the end, you know, poor work performance, you know, exhaustion, poor patient care. And so it's like, you know, as people kind of develop these, these different symptoms, if you will, of compassion fatigue, uh, it's really a lot of people talk about how care suffers right in the end right because yeah if you can't be empathetic towards your patient especially if they have a trauma something you're just kind of that wall of like all yeah. right here's your script all right here's yeah your script. i'm just gonna give you this script i don't even i'm not even gonna look at your ears <laughs> don't i care. was referring to like emotional type uh. things because i'm pretty sure ear infections aren't traumatizing but whatever <laughs> i guess they could be okay but not typically not to me but but here's the controversy i and and i kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier that you know some people believe that you know all of these things might be the same thing you know the traumatic stress vicarious trauma compassion they're all it's kind of like that whole thing you're standing in a dark room you got your hand and you're there's an elephant in there and you know, one person's feeling a tail, one's feeling a trunk. It 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 feels like a totally different thing, <laughs> but it's just one thing. It's just sure. an elephant. Mm-hmm. But other people's perspective is it's, it's a, a trunk. darn elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but good one. Good but, one. But, Y'all miss me pointing at Kermit. Uh, is it the elephant? In the room? <laughs> <laughs> but there's uh, obviously there's no evidence that they're all the same thing. But to me, it seems like that's all part of the same syndrome if you will. Syndrome? Um, syndrome. Compassion fatigue syndrome. syndrome. A collection of symptoms. A collection. A yeah. syndrome though makes it. Anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I'm not going to really hit on this so much this episode, uh, but there are people that actually help others who get a positive experience out of it. Compassion, right? satisfaction. Yeah, I think you remember the Rolling Stones had that whole song, Satisfaction. We actually know that reference. Good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, yeah. but I think that... <laughs> it's like a little puppy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do think, you know, working in the addiction world and um, and really if we fall back to our, our last uh, talk to on transgender uh, issues, I think that there is a lot of... I mean, we see a lot of things that are really tough and and hard to hear. And there's I, I do think there's a certain amount of probably compassion fatigue in what we do. Uh, because right. of some of the stories and, and things that, boy, uh, can be pretty difficult to listen to. So, But if you want to flip that around and say that whole compassion satisfaction. Well, I think we've talked about that. You know, it's, yeah. you know, like your patient this morning, it's like, I, I, yeah, I have nothing to say there. But, you know, I made the comment, like, where did she find the strength to do this? Like, why? You know, like questioning yeah. that. And so if you can be that person helping this person who actually has all this firsthand trauma, helping them find their own purpose, helping them kind of have the life that they are wanting or desiring, there can be some satisfaction in there. You know, being a source of hope. As the source of hope, as the person who's like walking alongside them, as, as, you know, 
even if you're just listening to them. Yeah, I don't think we're past the point where we um, where we don't have uh, kind of a optimistic view of what, how a patient's going to do. I mean, think about how many times you know we sit down and say, "Yeah, I saw this patient with this particular problem. I think they'll do okay, but it's going to be a lot of work." We never say, "No, no chance." I mean, I think it's that it's those previous successes have given us that compassion satisfaction, mm-hmm. and I I don't feel like you know I don't feel like we have as much of the fatigue. I mean, there's days, right? There's days. There's days we have a lot of people in a row where it's really difficult and you... Oh my gosh, last week I had a day of every patient. And there's four patients. That's all I had that day. And every single one of them were dealing with something with the system, the end yeah. of the month. And it was like, they're, the system is setting them up for failure. Like they lost this thing because of this 25-page paperwork thing that never came through. Or, you know, it was just like the system, social services. And it's like, this is such an uphill climb for these patients sometimes that are fine, that are like literally have been in recovery for a long time. They are doing the thing. They're working the job. They're doing all this stuff yet. They can't even make up any ground. And that was like my whole day last week. I just yeah. was so and it's over hard. the system. It's not hard to go home and feel like you're a failure then. Right. Right. Like I didn't do it. Like, I didn't fix these things for this person. I didn't help. Right. And I oh, can't shoot. move the system along any faster. Yeah. It must be yeah. me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ryan, I hope you're not listening to this. Yeah. So you made me read an article on compassion and compassion fatigue. So that's my first segment <laughs> of compassion fatigue. And I will do a second one on uh, treatment and actually a little bit on prevalence and who tends to have the most trouble. It's, it's actually quite interesting. Do you have a thought? Oh, no. Mika looked like you were going to say something. I'm sorry, I was stretching my back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was slouched for too long. My posture is awful. Uh-huh. Oh, I feel for you. <laughs> so I told you that would be, this is, to me, this is very interesting. It, it, I didn't deny that it was very interesting. I found it more interesting that you were the one that was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> the most fascinating part. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back next week. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. And produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman. And of course, the music is by Battle Legs on Spotify. To reach out to us for any type of information or questions, please email us at theaddictionconnectionpodcast at gmail.com.
play on the golf course and drink their martinis dry and they all have three children and the children go to school and the children go to summer camp and then to the university where they are put in boxes and they all come out the same Thank you. 